This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. If you're a musician, you probably already use social media. But which platforms are the best to use to achieve your goals? And how can you use them wisely? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, MerchTable partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit MerchTable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's show, we talk to a panel curated by Vortex Music Magazine and hear about social media best practices, as well as one musician's personal experience with Facebook in particular. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Gil Asias, Daniel Bozik, and Tracy Gill Miller. Welcome to the future of what, you guys. Thanks for having us. All right, thank this you. Is the magic yeah. is now going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so our topic today is social media, and you guys all have something to say about that. This show is a show about the music business, as you probably all know, and so. We strive to be educational for our listeners so that, you know, young musicians, older musicians, musicians who should know better <laughs> and don't, <laughs> you know, can learn something about, you know, the business and, and you know, perhaps the way they should be best practices, you know, of what works well. But also just, you know, we can discuss the marketplace and Lord knows the marketplace changes from day to day. You know, it's an interesting time to be alive and be in the music industry, Definitely. I would have yeah. to say. <laughs> Gil, I think your story is worth opening with. Oh, thank you. <laughs> definitely, because it's it's a perfect example of of how social media can change things for artists. Oh yeah, it yeah, changed a lot for me. That's for sure. So you had videos of yourself up playing music, and one of them was seen by T Pain. Yeah. And then he invited you to collaborate with him. Yeah. That, right. That's a story. You gave it all away. I'm not gonna add. Gave the whole, the whole thing away. <laughs> so tell me about how that all unrolled. Yeah, already for like a couple of years, I've been recording just little videos at home with my phone, just little jams and stuff and ideas that I was writing, and put them online. And I started posting them on Reddit, in addition to like Facebook and all the social media websites. And one of the videos was seen by T Pain, and he commented on Reddit, and he said, oh, this is amazing, we got to work together, man, something like that. And I didn't believe it was really him at first, because his name, his username was tpain850, like, <laughs> and I was just like, you know, just a fan or something. But then other people, like, commented after him and said, oh, by the way, this is the real T-Pain, you should contact him. So I did. Well, actually, at first, like, we started talking a bit, but then he kind of disappeared. <laughs> so I figured I'd have to find a different way to get his attention. So what I did after that was I took one of his videos and I overdubbed it with my own playing. Oh, wow. And luckily that one went like super viral, <laughs> got to the first page of Reddit. And then 
then I was contacted by like his manager. Okay, let's set something up. And, uh, so that worked. Yeah. A legit thing. So you've been posting these little clips of yourself playing. Did you do the YouTube thing too? Do you post clips of yourself to YouTube? Yeah. So I put them on YouTube. I put them on Facebook, Instagram, you know, like shorter versions. And how often, like how frequently? I try to create as much as possible. I think the more content you have, the better. Not every video does well, and I never expect any video to do well. I just like, you know, if something happens, it's a very nice surprise. But I just, when I'm already releasing something, something I'm already working on the next one or the next three, you know? Right. Dan, you work in digital media. What would you, I mean, if you were, have, if you had a young artist come to you, a mm-hmm. client, and, and said, I want to become a YouTube sensation, like mm-hmm. I want to get people to notice me on YouTube, what would you, what advice would you give them? That's just one of those things where you have to start doing it and you have to be genuine about it, but you just have to start cranking out content and Mm -hmm. just kind of slowly develop an audience until you have the glasses video that sparks, you know, some sort of of huge response, some kind of crowd response. But I mean, there's, I don't know if there's any necessarily right way to do it for anybody. It's just a matter of doing it and doing it regularly and and engaging with the people that, that are paying attention to it. Right. And I think that what you said, Gil, is is really key. It's like you you do it as much as possible. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that, you know, I feel like we're, we've missed a lot or some people have missed a lot in this conversation where they think like, oh, you can just be a YouTube sensation because you put up one video. And it's like, no, those people have worked really hard for a long time. I mean, it does happen, but it's very rare. Very rare. Well, it all, I mean, everything happens. People also get discovered and become movie stars because they were walking down the street. Yeah, exactly. But the problem is like that happens once every 50 years and then everyone thinks that's like how things actually work. Well, I mean, there was a time when there were YouTube pioneers and that stuff happened a little easier and a little more regularly because there wasn't so much of it out there. Sure. Absolutely. So Tracy, you work at CD Baby and you do international marketing. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I manage a multi-channel marketing strategy. You know, we do everything from content marketing and we have the DIY musician blog. I actually have two versions of that blog, one in Spanish and one in Portuguese that I manage. Well, I should say I and my team manage. And then we also do, you know, social media. We have Twitter and Facebook accounts as well as Instagram accounts. We do PPC, which is, you know, Google AdWords marketing, promotion, et cetera. And then we do have some video where we kind of work with our the CD Baby video team for that. And so you do this on behalf of the artists on CD Baby, right? I mean, I'm, I'm promoting CD Baby as a service to artists, but, you know, the content that we put out is targeted at artists for artists, you know, information that would be useful for them. And, you know, when I got started five years ago doing the, for example, the DIY musician stuff in those languages, like that information was not available in those languages. And so we were kind of, we kind of have pioneered that since then, you know, there have been things that have cropped up, but I think we're still one of the larger audiences in that sense. So what kind of changes are you seeing since you look at all the social media platforms? Like what's, what's hot right now that wasn't hot five years ago? I think Instagram has definitely grown. It's one. It's definitely one that sort of has caught me off guard because I always sort of considered myself not much of a photographer, so this isn't really for me. And now uh, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm behind the times. I need to get on Instagram. So now I'm on it. And, you know, so are we as CD Baby. But, yeah, I think, I think Instagram is 
probably the hottest one right now. And, you know, even even one thing that I think artists don't necessarily think of in this way, and they should, but a lot of the streaming platforms can also be used uh, as social media, you know, like sharing Spotify playlists, et cetera, you know, that there's a very social element to that. And, you know, I think that your approach to building a strategy on some of those platforms should be the same as what you're thinking in terms of social media. So you just said building a strategy on some of those platforms, and I feel like all those words in that order are like totally not what musicians think of when they get up in the morning necessarily, <laughs> you know? And and I think it's really important that we try to get people to understand that they do have a way that they can do that, you know, that you don't need to necessarily be a full-on business person, but that when you are an artist, you're basically your own small business. So, I mean... You know, do you get up in the morning and go like, I got to build my online strategy on, you know, <laughs> well, now I do. Now I do. <laughs> I think it's important to focus on one platform. Just find the one that you're best at and that your audience is on mm-hmm. and just focus on that. Because when you try to do everything, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, I mean, it's good to have all of them. But like your strategy, I think, should focus at least for, you know, a certain time, like on one of them. And how did you figure out which one was going to be the right one for you? I just saw the results that I saw that on Facebook, I was getting way more hits, Mm -hmm. way more engagement, shares, comments than say Twitter, where like, that's like the weakest one for me. But then other people have a huge Twitter following because they know how to always write the right thing, the right time. And then some people, you know, on Spotify, like become huge. They get like millions of plays before they even have a big YouTube following or Facebook, you know, so for every person it's different, but I uh, was having success on Facebook, so I just kind of stuck with it, went with it. Nowadays, people are saying that Facebook has started like its downward spiral. And Mm. like, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that Instagram is now like the biggest one. So I'm I'm trying to... The interesting thing about Instagram is that you can't really like share like on Facebook. I mean, people can just share with like their friends, but with like one person, I think, right? There's It's not like Facebook where you share and then all your friends see it. So it's it's kind of a different strategy, I think. It's more about just like posting content all the time, like every day and building that following. Dan, you're nodding your head. Do you want to get in there uh, on that one? I'm kind of curious to hear him talk more about that because yeah. uh, as far as the sharing stuff specifically, I mean, what what is it that I, I'm not sure I quite picked up exactly what well, you meant Well, I mean, like that. if I, okay, so if a video like goes viral on Facebook, then people, why does it go viral? That's because people are sharing it, right? Mm-hmm. And then more and more people are seeing it. On Instagram, you do see videos go viral, but I still don't know like what the right strategy for that is because you can't just like share a video on Instagram and have all your followers see it. It does that does feature doesn't exist right. like on Facebook. So yeah. it's more about just people sharing it with one person at a time or like, you know, like more mm. like the chat thing. And working that hashtag game. I mean yeah, Instagram is everything. Yeah. 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 So I'm still figuring that one out. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're all still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Right.
That was Any Kind of Crowd by Filthy Friends. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Gil Esaias, Daniel Bozik, and Tracy Gill Miller. So something that I'm interested in, and this could be because I'm just old school and maybe people today don't think as much about this, but it is really interesting to hear you guys talk about, you know, things that go viral or things that get a ton of hits or things that get a ton of shares because, you know, the music business is weird. It used to be like, let's say you were listening to the radio, right? People would always say, if you got regular play in a market of a hundred thousand people or something, that would translate to sales. Like you could do a direct correlation. But all of this media attention, like all of this social media attention, does it actually translate to sales? Does it translate to fans? Does it translate to people coming to your shows? Like, is there any correlation or is it really just sort of its own thing? Oh, yeah, definitely. The big increase in the number of people who come to my shows, people buy my music online, fans who follow me online. So there is a direct correlation for sure. I think that there is a little bit of a disconnect in, you know, I've, I find that some musicians tend to focus too much on, oh, I got to get more people to follow me on Facebook. I got to get more likes. I got to get shares and comments and stuff like that. And, you know, that is good and all. But I think that, you know, coming at it from a more marketing perspective, and this is sort of, you know, something I recognize maybe not all artists have, but social media is a great tool and Facebook especially is great for driving people to do something that you want them to do. So it's not, it it is about building a relationship with them and sort of creating the rapport and sharing about who you are as an artist and what your message is. But it's also about, you know, say, hey, buy my music. Here's a link. Listen to it on Spotify. Here's a link. Come to my show. It's like you have to create a call to action where you're, you're telling people what you want them to do. And, you know, that 
goes hand in hand along with, you know, the the branding that you're doing of, you know, sharing who you are, telling your story, sharing art that you think is cool or that inspired you or even maybe what you had for lunch. You know, it, it's it's just as important to have that call to action and use social media not necessarily as a thing unto itself because one of the things that we run into a lot of times is that artists will pour their heart and soul into building a Facebook following, for example, and then Facebook changes their algorithm and then all of a sudden you want to reach those people and you can't, you have to pay for it. So we recommend that artists instead use social media as a way to drive people to a place that they want them to go to, whether that's their YouTube page to see their videos or their you know iTunes page or their cdbaby.com page maybe to buy their music etc or or maybe even just to their website like hey you know come to my website give me your email address and I'll give you a I don't know some exclusive content maybe a free single or something whatever it is and then you use social media to drive those actions even if it's just like building up a database of email addresses that you can then you know use something like Mailchimp for example to contact and communicate with regularly to where you can then because our thinking is like if you have somebody who's willing to give you their email address that's somebody who's you know what you were saying about having your true fan how you can you know sustain a, a living off of that if you have a database of people that gave you their email address because they want to keep in touch with you they want to know when your shows are they want to know when you're releasing something new that's gold and that's something that you own and no algorithm change is going to cause you to suddenly have to pay more in order to reach those people I think that's a really, really crucial point. I'm glad you brought it up because that's exactly, we have to control our own destinies to some extent. And gathering email addresses is critical because Mm -hmm. like you said, any of these platforms could be gone tomorrow. They could change their algorithms. And, you know, don't forget most social media platforms are making money off of us. You know, they're mining our data. They're using our, you know, we think we're having fun. They're making money. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting in this in this business because I feel like every day there's like a new way that artists can't make money, but <laughs> someone else is making money off of them. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very careful about that and, you know, control your own destiny. So what do you tell your clients? I mean... I mean, to build off of what Tracy was saying, I mean, engagement is not just a metric. I mean, engagement is something that you genuinely have to pursue with your audience. You have to ask them what they thought of your art and actually get feedback and start some level of dialogue. And, you know, to that end, you know, would you rather have 100,000 followers or 50,000 followers that regularly come back to and see what you're doing? And, you know, I would take 50,000 every time because those are the people that are going to continue to support you and continue to, to foster that relationship with you and the art that you create. Absolutely. So, Gail, I have a question. How long have you been making music? Well, I started playing as a little kid, like five, six. But if you mean like releasing music? Yeah, like, you know, to the point where you were ready to release music into the world and like, you know, be a like, hi, here's my music. Somebody listen to it. Well, I've been like, you know, part of bands for ages. But my solo project, I just started when I moved to Portland two years ago. So it's pretty new. It's pretty new, but yeah. you've been doing this for for years. Uh, playing, yeah. playing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just because I th- I think that that's an important point too. You know this this world of instant gratification and and you know what can social media do for me? You know I feel like I've gotten too many emails from people who are like, hey, I wrote a song. How do I get that song played on Spotify? And I'm like, well, I don't know how many. You know, can I hear some of your other songs? And they're like, no, no, I wrote a song. <laughs> You know, and, and I feel like, you know, social media has to be part of your strategy if you're really doing this for real. Like, 
And if you're doing it for real, it means you have written more than one song. <laughs> You've probably played in front of an audience, you know. So how do you know when you're ready? And like, how would you, Dan, like, at what point would you tell an artist? I, I mean, at the point where you can regularly turn stuff out and you regularly have stuff for people to listen to and, and you are regularly able to to have that conversation about what did you think? What could I do differently? What would you like to hear next? You know, at the point where you're ready to, to have that relationship, that certain uh, level of intimacy, if you will, with, with the people that you're trying to draw as fans. I think you'll know when you're ready because people will start to respond. If you're not getting any response to your music, maybe you're not ready. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's not always the case because it can depend also on the algorithm, as Tracy said, and, and all that. But I was creating content for a long time until like one video just took off. And like, how do you explain that? I guess like just people liked it enough, you know? It's no right. Way. But on top of that, once that one thing took off, there was so much other content for people to look at. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did some really amazing videos. Oh, and then all of a sudden people are digging through these and saying, okay, this is a person that I want to hear more of and, and see more of what he's done and what he can do. And I mean, yeah, the, the body of work that you put out on YouTube is amazing. It oh, really thanks, is. Man. Yeah. But even now, like, you know, I can, I, I put out new videos all the time and some of them just don't get that many views. And mm -hmm. how do you explain it? I guess it's just not good enough <laughs> you know so i'll just well, make another know, one <laughs> personal personal preference right definitely but but i i feel like that's you know I, that's another i just keep hammering on this point because i think it's really important it's like sure there's what what's the girl the oh my god i can't even remember what it's called the girl who got the big youtube oh don't say rebecca black is that where you're going with the friday video no oh. no that's a good one though that's that's a good that's another example right, right? like there's these people who just do one thing right. And then they're like huge sensations and, and people are like, oh, see, I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, but why would you want to? Like, is that what you want to do with your life? I mean, this is being a musician is a real job. It's not just like, woo, I had fun with my friends and I put it on YouTube and now I have a career. That seems well, unfair. I think there's also something to be said, too, about, you know, maybe a lot of musicians are thinking, oh, OK, I put this video on YouTube or I put this post up on Facebook or whatever it is. And OK, now, when are the people going to start rolling in and taking interest? And I think there's another element kind of like what you were saying, Dan, about, you know, needing to have some interactivity going on. So, like, not just putting your video out there, but also then going to relevant sites where people might be interested in the kind of work that you do and sharing your information. You know, put your video onto a popular blog that's related to your genre or go on to other Facebook groups and share information about who you are and try to direct people back to your page. There's, you know, that interactivity is, I think, just as important as creating and putting the content out there. Yeah. No, I yeah. think that's a really good point. And, and, and creating local networks, too. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've been doing for the last couple of years has been involved with tribute bands. Who They're just fun. They're just really good performers. But we've built this community where, you know, somebody puts out an original project and you share it among all of these other entities. And, and you know, we've built a really fun community that, that fosters an even larger community of fans. I mean, it's a really, really fun thing to be a part of. Absolutely. What were you going to say, Gil? Well, at the end of the day, like going viral is something that's just unpredictable and you can't really count on it. You know what I mean? So it's better to have more like solid strategy with predictable results. And for me, that's like advertising, social media advertising. I've tried it on a number of platforms, but for me, Facebook has been the best for it because you can really like target people according to their, you know, interests, the kind of music they like. And it's actually scary just how much information <laughs> Facebook has about it. But anyway, that's been like a very predictable way of, of building my following. 
for me. And when a video goes viral, that's just like a really nice surprise. But I try not to depend on that. So when you say Facebook advertising, do you mean like boosting posts? No, so definitely not boosting because <laughs> boosting is like the worst idea, I think. Because when you boost, you're usually just boosting to people already like your page and their friends, which is just a huge demographic that is, it's, it's, not, a, it's not very good targeting because their friends won't necessarily like your stuff just because they're friends. friends. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's better to target people by their interests. And I've been doing it in the US and in Europe, and um, that has been getting me consistent results. And then when I do put out a new video, then I have all these new people who are going to see it, you know, hopefully if the algorithm is not <laughs> too bad. Facebook has some really, actually some really great tools. It's funny you mentioned boosting. There are options where you can boost to people who like your page and their friends, which will only get you so far, you're right, in that. But you can also, like, within the Facebook Ads Manager, there's a whole section on audience building. And yeah. so you can do things like put a piece of code on your website, and then anybody who visits your website within a certain period of time, it will generate, an, it'll collect their IP address, put cookies on their browser, and then if they're on Facebook, it'll find them, and then you can market to them. Then you can do what's called a lookalike audience, where it takes all those people that, you know, whatever criteria you put in, you know, whether it's your basing it on people who've interacted with your Facebook page or people who visited your website. Or if you say you do have an email database, you can actually upload your database of, of fans who've given you their email address onto Facebook and it'll find their page and then you can market directly to them. And you can boost your posts to all of them or you can actually just set up a straight up ad campaign. And then again, you can create lookalike audiences of all of that. So Yeah, I use the lookalike feature quite a lot yeah. now. It's, it's super fun to, you know, I don't know, as a marketing <laughs> person, I'm kind of a geek about the data, but getting in there and setting up posts, like the exact same post with the exact same copy, the exact same imagery, but then targeting it at different audiences and seeing which ones work better or changing up some slight variables. Like one of the things that I like to do is I'll set up a campaign with everything exactly the same, except for I'll put up different banners and then I'll go back and check it a week later and see which banner is resonating the best with the audience that I'm targeting, and then I'll just turn the other two off or the other images off and only focus on the one that's performing. So that's some things you can try. Yeah, those are all great ideas. And you can do it all with a really small budget. I mean, I would definitely recommend that to artists is just come up with a regular budget, facebook.com slash ad slash manager, and just start poking around because you're going to find some really interesting things that help you reach people in ways that you had no idea were available to you. Yeah. Those balance really are when watching from the car. 
was The Airport Lobby by New Dog. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoller wanted a face towel with his face on it. Merch Table found a way to make this. And it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Gil Esaias, Daniel Bozik, and Tracy Gill Miller. What about Google Ads? AdWords. I don't think that's very good for musicians because it's just text. And on Facebook, you can have a video ad or an image that, you know, really grabs people's attention. Just like some text on the side. I don't know if that's going to do it, but I haven't tried it. Um, Although through AdWords, you can do YouTube advertising. So you get that first five second clip in front oh, of yeah, a lot yeah. of the popular videos and stuff. And I imagine that could be like, especially for some of the stuff that you do that's really, really visual. I think it's really overpriced. Like, the, <laughs> it definitely the, is. It's, it's, yeah, it's ridiculously expensive to advertise on YouTube. I just don't mm. think it's worth it. Facebook is still kind of affordable. Right. So hopefully it'll remain that way. I have tried advertising on Instagram with like mixed results. It's uh, more difficult to reach like a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Twitter, I haven't tried. I don't know. <laughs> we, we've done Twitter. We haven't really found it to be super effective and yeah. it's a little overpriced for Twitter the results. Twitter is more we get. about like posting about what you had for lunch and, and that kind of thing. It's like less about, you know, that kind of like marketing and that kind of content.
But this is really interesting because clearly you've thought about this and clearly you have a budget for marketing and for advertising. And so clearly you must be making enough money back that you feel like it's worth it to invest some money in this. Well, I feel like it's worth it, not necessarily because of the money I'm making back. I mean, I do, I gig with other bands, so I, that's what I do for a living. So, you know, I try to put some money aside every month just for the advertising, which is not much. I spend $5 a day on Facebook, which is it amounts to 150 a month, which is not too bad. That's and like, you know, a coffee a day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I still drink coffee. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he's rich, you guys. This guy's rolling in it. <laughs> but uh, I mostly, I'm trying to focus on building a following more than trying to make money right now. Even though there is some like ad revenue on YouTube and more people buy my album and stuff like that, but that's like not my focus. I think that building a following and just putting out new content all the time and just having it grow is like the best thing I can do for my music right now. And then because of that, I get better gigs. So I, I end up, you know, also making more money in that way. So see, this is, these are good words of wisdom. This is like a long-term strategy. I mean, you know, you may not have started it so coldly thinking like, oh, this is point A and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. But it has evolved into that sort of a strategy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important. It is yeah. important because yeah. this is your job. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, th I think, too, it's interesting to note that, you know, for maybe people listening that are hearing this, you should be posting all the time and are thinking, oh, my gosh, when am I going to have time for this? It is important to post frequently, but I think more importantly, it's important to post consistently. So pick a schedule that works for you and stick with it. You know, don't just post every couple of months or, you know, inconsistently to a point where people don't really know what to expect you have people that are following you on your fan base and, you know, they are thinking that you're going to put something out new every Friday or whatever it is, like, you know, people get excited about that and they are looking forward to it. And if you're not consistent, it would be like showing up to a store and having it say, these are my store hours and then it's not open when you think it should be. So that that's my, my two cents yeah, on that. Yeah, I agree. Consistency is king. And don't post too much like self-promotion kind of posts, you know, like come to my show, buy my album. Like I would keep that to a minimum. And just try to create engaging content that is fun for people to engage with and watch and make them want to share it with their friends. Because I see a lot of band pages that are just like posting their show, you know, flyers and, and events all the time, like 10 times a day. And if I'm following their page, that's not interesting to me, you know. Okay, I know you got a show, but like, I don't need to hear about it 10 times a day. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny to sort of look at the trends. You know, it's like people get excited about the thing that that seems to be working at the moment. And a few years ago, it was licensing. Like everyone went bananas for licensing, thinking like that's what's going to save us is, you know, we're going to get a really big license. And licensing, just like you said about a video going viral, it's like getting struck by lightning. Like yeah. it's a total you don't you can't make it happen. There's nothing you can do to force you know, a song to get licensed. And it does happen. It happens all the time. It happens every single day. But that doesn't mean that there's something that you can do, you know, to really make it happen. So it sounds like actually this is a little bit more, you have a little bit more control over this because the consistency of posting, just continuing to put stuff out there to build a following. And then eventually, you know, it's like one of them takes off. Yeah. Yeah. So I know pretty much like how many new Facebook likes I'm going to get every day just based on like the results and the, the metrics of like the ads that I've got running right now. So it's way more predictable than anything else. Wow. That's pretty cool. I have to say. 
<laughs> but it would still be nice to get licensing on an Apple commercial at some point, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be very nice. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what do you guys think about Spotify playlisting? I, I think Spotify playlisting, just like with, with any other sort of social media, is it's the same idea. You have to come up with a strategy. You have to start small and work your way up. We actually have a, a guide you can download on cdbaby.com about Spotify playlisting. It actually has a lot of really great information in it about, you know, how to build a strategy to get your music featured on, you know, you start small, small, smaller playlists and then work your way up. And, you know, the ultimate goal being to get picked up by like a curated Spotify playlist like that's actually put out by Spotify. And we actually had an independent artist who got picked up by a fairly large Spotify list that... It was a song that he had released like a couple years prior and it got picked up and went, he made like $50,000 in a week with one song. And then, you know, that ended up causing people to go and look for all of his other music. And so he made a bunch of other money off of it. It was featured in the New York Times. Like it was, it was a big deal. So I do think there's a lot of potential with that. You know, you start small, get in, interact with playlist owners. If you can't find who the playlist owner is, a quick Google search to you know, with a Spotify playlist name might yield that person's Twitter account or might yield their Facebook account or some other way that you could communicate with that list owner. And then you just start talking to them. Like, don't just come straight out the gate and be like, hey, your playlist is great. I think you should put my music on it. Instead, you know, wine and dine them a little bit, you know, chit chat, talk about how great their playlist is, etc. And then, you know, maybe go in for the call to action a little bit later on and see if you can get some collaborative going on with them. You know, you could put their music on your playlist. Another thing that we've seen artists do is, you know, get together in a collective and be like, I, here's my open playlist where I've got music that's mine, but I've also got music that is, you know, from other people. I'll put your music on my list if you put my music on your list. And Spotify's algorithms are such that if it's showing, it shows that your music is being shared on multiple playlists, it'll actually boost your rankings and it'll start showing your songs to other people who have music that's similar to your genre. There's a whole strategy here with, with that, like getting your music displayed in the, you know, sounds like or music discovery portion of Spotify. And it's like, don't have more than one song on a playlist that's yours. So a lot of artists will be like, I'm just going to make a playlist that's like all of my music. And, you know, those those playlists are fine. You can do that and where it's like, that's its purpose. But if you have a collaborative playlist that's open, don't just put a majority of your own songs on there and not share other people's music. It'll actually downgrade you that way. Or, you know, another another interesting tip is that if you have, there's like a certain range of how many songs you should have on your Spotify playlist to where you're sort of in the sweet spot of, you know, getting picked up by the algorithm. I think it's like up to 20, like you want to have between 25 and, I don't know, maybe don't quote me on this, but like 25 and like 60, I think is the, uh, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it is in that guide. I definitely recommend checking it out. And, and the other thing that's interesting about that is that it is important to be consistently changing and updating your playlists. A lot of people think like, oh, I put out a playlist and I've got my music on it and I've got other people's music on it and now I can just be static and sit there. And the reality is, is no, like Spotify likes new music. It likes, it likes to be seeing change and happening, you know, people sharing, people adding new things, et cetera. And so you always want to be switching up what's on the, the playlist in order to, to stay relevant. Right. And that's, it's sort of like other social media in that, right? Like yes. if you just put one image on Instagram and never do anything again, no one's going to go to your Instagram account. <laughs> 
you have to keep it alive.
That was Detroit Trickle Down by Kinski. Buying merch from your favorite band is a great way to support them. But with so many bootleg products online, how do you know your money is going to the artists you love? Whether it's a t-shirt or a patch, your purchase should be officially licensed. Rockabilia.com carries one of the largest selections of official music merchandise in the world. Check out their store at rockabilia.com and get 15% off with code PCFutureOfWhat. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Gil Esaias, Daniel Bozick, and Tracy Gill Miller. So what advice would you have, Dan, for, for people in this realm? In terms of Spotify? Sure. I really don't else. have, I mean, I don't put anything on Spotify and I don't work with a lot of artists that do have things on Spotify. So that's, that, that's, that's kind of a, I'm mystified by that world. I mean, listening to Tracy talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I should really be spending more time there. But, you know, building playlists, what I did in radio for, you know, 20 some years and it just doesn't fascinate me the way it used to. So it's, uh, yeah, I haven't spent much time playing around with Spotify at all. So you target the more traditional social media platforms? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like Gil was saying, it's, you know, Facebook is still where a lot of the action is. It's where it's the easiest to move the audiences. And so a lot of my strategies there are incremental in, in, in terms of, you know, making sure that you don't post cover photos that don't have some kind of text or link attached and make sure that you leave breadcrumbs everywhere. Everything that you post should have some direction to send people to some specific place involving whatever your work is, whatever your next show coming up is, or, you know, whatever shows, you know, whatever list of shows, you know, that you should always be trying to get somebody to go back to, to someplace specific to your website or to your to your music. I agree, but like don't overdo it. Right. Either. Like it's good to just post content that's just engaging just for the sake of engaging your audience. You don't right. always have to like try to lead people to your album or to your right. show or whatever, you know, buy tickets because it, it comes off as, as kind of desperate, I think, and, and annoying too. Mm-hmm. If every post is just like, buy my music, buy my music. Buy my right. Music. But I mean, but use those opportunities. So, I mean, specifically like cover images and profile images where a lot of people just post them with no description yeah. attached. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For sure. We've been talking a lot about playlist curation uh, mm-hmm. lately. And one of the things about it is it's similar to this whole conversation about, you know, putting your music out on social media is that it's kind of a lot of work. Like curating playlists is not just something you can do in five minutes. Right. It sounds really easy. But then when you sit down and you're like, oh, I'm just, I know I'm just going to make a couple playlists and I'll change them up every week. Like I haven't successfully made one playlist <laughs> since I said that. I don't you know, think because I, I do. sat down to like try to do it. And right. I was just like, ah, and I was like, oh, and also I have this other job, like full time job that. You know, so it's just I, I like, mean, all I, these things are a lot of work. Powerful computer programs at my disposal help me classify all these songs and set up all the rules to make sure that you got different genres and eras and 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 sound types, you know, separated and really make it kind of a, a flowing wave of of music, like, you know, like just like the surf. I mean, you kind of, you want to go your highs and lows and you got to be mindful of tempo and, and texture. And yeah, I mean, playlists aren't easy. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, it's fun to do, but I mean, to do a really good one, it's, it's, it takes work. And then Love again, that. to maintain, it's all about that consistency and that's, you know, ongoing. It's not just, oh, I put this out there and I'm done. No, it's, you got to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then when you think about the fact that you're receiving tons of music all the time, that people want you to put on their playlist. So there's the time you spend listening to that music in addition. I mean, it's just, it really, it's like you need to get paid, which then brings us back to the fact that the <laughs> artists aren't getting paid. Now these people who are curating <laughs> playlists are getting paid. So I keep saying maybe we should have musicians realize that that's another thing they could be doing is curating playlists. Another possible income stream, you know. Yeah, I've never not. done that. It, it seems really 
impossible to me. <laughs> just like I don't think I I listen enough new music, <laughs> just to know enough music to like constantly update a, a good playlist. But I'll leave that to other people. <laughs> I mean, would you would you say that a good playlist is mostly new music, or or but I mean, what do you consider when you're building? I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to be new music. I would just say that it should be music that tells a story of some kind, you know? So it's like maybe it's music that you listened to while you were building your album that you're ultimately trying to promote with the playlist. But you could say this, you know, this is my inspiration playlist. You could do a playlist that's all about music that you like to eat or (laughs) music that you like to listen to while you're eating. Really, like, it doesn't matter what the playlist is for. And I don't think it necessarily matters that it has new music on it either. I think it can be any music. But of course, the stuff that's getting the biggest... You know, the Spotify curated playlists that are on the front page are new music for the most part, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and I guess I'm talking more about like if you're, you know, an, an independent artist or, or an artist, a smaller artist, and you're trying to get started with this stuff, you know, that's oh, where yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. I don't know oh, if yeah. it necessarily matters. Totally. Once you start getting up into the, you know, the bigger leagues, I guess, you know, it's a little bit of a different game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sort of start slow. This is my like Duran Duran and Chill playlist. <laughs> 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 I'd listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, would you guys say about the the live features on these various platforms? I'm too scared to go live, <laughs> <laughs> but I see it working for a lot of people. I saw this one artist, I forgot her name, but she's like a country singer songwriter. And I read this article about her, maybe on CD Baby. I don't remember, but she would go live like every morning at the same time and oh, just, wow. just perform like a show. And then she'd post a link to her PayPal account and call it her virtual tip jar. And this people, it, it just grew and became huge. And like, she'd get tens of thousands of people to tune in every morning. And that's how she makes a living now. So it's pretty amazing. Like, I think you just have to be creative and try a lot of different things and just see what works for you. I was actually just reading an article recently because I have to keep up on, you know, what kind of changes Facebook's making to its algorithm. And uh, apparently Mark Zuckerberg's big thing right now is he wants to make sure that Facebook is good for the world. So he they are specifically starting to downplay posts that are clickbait, as quote unquote, and they're starting to put more importance on things like live content. So if you're doing more live sessions, it's actually going to get better play or better showing on Facebook in general. So that's actually something that we're going to be starting to do more of just from our end. That's going to be an interesting experiment to watch because they're also down like 700,000 users over the month because they started adjusting to do more organic and, and more stuff related to people that you're actually connected with. So that'll be fun to watch how audiences develop using some of that stuff. But as far as the live stuff, one of the, the best things that I've seen recently is the last Vortex marketing meetup. It was a Simon Tam was talking about how the band The Slants would just go to various sort of charity functions and just live stream them interacting with, you know, whatever was going on or whatever initiative that specific nonprofit was involved in. I thought it was a really great idea just to, you know, to support causes they believe in at the same time that they're providing content to their to their audience. Yeah, that's a great idea. But Simon Tam is full of good ideas. Kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. That guy's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that's but that's what's really cool. I mean, that has been the coolest thing for me about the whole Internet era that we're in is that it's totally rewarding creativity. Like it really is like people who are really creative, who think outside the box and who try new stuff are getting rewarded, which I love to see. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people who are doing all sorts of weird stuff like Wolfpack. You know, that band has done a ton of weird stuff and, and been very successful. So it's been really cool to watch that. 
And it's cool that like the most successful content now is not necessarily created with a high budget. It can be like, it's usually just phone videos, you know, even Wolfpack, like they have these kind of home videos where there's just one guy with a camera in the middle of the room and they're all playing around the room and he's just, you know, like turning around and focusing on one person at a time. And those are like their biggest videos. We had an example, Ingrid Michaelson was a, a big artist with CD Baby and she made a music video that was nothing but various shots of her with that app that overlays weird animal faces. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, would just, it was just her singing the song and it would just shift from one weird animal face to the next and it was one of her more popular videos that had like a million views on YouTube. <laughs> People are way more forgiving now when it comes to like the quality of your videos. It's more about, you know, is the music good and is this fun to watch and engaging and... That's so nice, too, for record labels, because (laughs) we don't have to spend the kind of money. I mean, it's funny because the industry dipped at the exact same time. So it's like nobody was spending big money on videos anymore anyway. And it's nice that people in general just sort of adopted like, oh, if I can take it on my phone, it's fine. Yeah. And I'm willing to watch something that was taken on a phone. But I still see so many of my friends, you know, spend thousands on music videos, which are, they turn out really amazing, but no one watches them in the end. It's such a shame. Isn't that interesting? That video is like king, except music videos are just not. It's not the same (laughs) as it was. It's so weird. So the moral of this story is you got to stay on top of it, right? (laughs) Yeah. And just create as much as you can. But make sure it's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just create for the sake of creating. I mean, you know, really pour all your heart and soul into it and try to be unique in your own way. Just, I guess that's my advice. That's a good objective measure yeah. of good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a nice place to end, too, because that's what it's all about. So, you guys, thank you so much for coming and being with me on The Future of What today. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Filthy Friends, New Dog, Kinski, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.